Hey there, Pastor Mark Jordan here from Hope Church. Thank you for stopping by and welcome to our online ministry. While you're here, make sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can stay up to date on all the content that's released. And while you're online, visit us at our webpage at placeofhope.org. Hope Church is on a mission to introduce people to Jesus and fuel their love for Him. And we hope that this message today is helpful and inspiring for you as you continue to take your next step on your faith journey. Once again, thanks for visiting us and make sure to check us out at placeofhope.org. Well, good morning, everybody. It is great to see you. If you're worshiping with us online or here in person, a very warm and special welcome to you. If we have not yet met, my name is Mark. I'm the pastor here, and it is a delight to have you with us. Isn't there an energy in the room this morning that's just unmistakable? Man, absolutely. And it may have something to do with the fact that our lights aren't flickering. But hey, that's a message for last week. Thank you for laughing. I appreciate it. Uh, this is a great time, if you've not yet done so already, to pull out your Hope Church Plus app. The follow-along notes is the very top card on the home screen. You can follow along with the content today. There's a way to take notes as well as to share notes if you find that this content might be helpful for someone you know. Uh, we also have them available in hard copy form inside your info guide. So pull those out if you want. And uh, let's get into our message today going through the third chapter in the book of Galatians, which is our current message series. Now, last week when we talked about Galatians chapter 2... We looked at three basic themes that I'm going to summarize really quickly for you. First of all, the sinners to which the Apostle Paul was referring was talking about the people who were not of Jewish descent and therefore did not follow the Jewish rules. And so those outside of the Jewish culture looked at people who did not follow their rules and called them sinners. Now, as a result of that, Paul was trying to break it down and help everybody realize that rules are not what save us. It is our belief and faith in God's one and only Son, Jesus Christ, that he was born, he lived, he died, and was resurrected. That's what saves us. That is the mission and the ministry of Jesus, not about our ability to follow rules. Now, that does not mean that the law is invalid or doesn't have a purpose. God set the law up as a way to show and to teach that we are incapable of being good enough on our own long enough to save ourselves and in essence, there is no way that we can save ourselves. We must have a Savior. Every single one of us has to fight that temptation, though, because we want it to be a little bit more challenging or difficult in our own mind. Give me an equation to solve. Give me some rules to follow. Give me some steps to make or take so that I can achieve or feel like I have earned my salvation. But what the gospel tells us is there's nothing you can do. And the reason being is God does not look at the law or his code as though, it, you know, subsection season three, whatever, season three, listen to me, I'm, you know, obviously I'm on Netflix. But anyway, God looks at the law as one complete and total package. And therefore, when you violate one piece of the law, you have violated the entire thing. And so Paul's message, his writing, his teaching is that there's no way we can save ourselves because the minute that we violate one piece of it, we have violated the entire thing. And so that brings us into our topic for today on Galatians chapter 3 about what is our focus. And you may recall last week as we closed out the message on uh, chapter 2, I talked about relationships. The vertical relationship that we have with God and the horizontal relationship that we have with other people. And I gave the very deliberate sign of the cross, right? We are called to live at that vertex of relationship 
vertically with God, horizontally with other people, recognizing that not everyone is going to see the world or see life the same way that we do. That means we are absolutely, necessarily need to keep that focus and that balance on who God is and what God wants to do for us and how we can help point other people to him. So you ready to dig into chapter 3? I love how chapter 3 begins. So open up your scriptures, your Bible, pay attention to the screen, whatever it is, and let's look at this. I, I love the way that Paul starts us off, and we are using the message this week because of how it renders some of these passages. But look at that first phrase, you crazy Galatians. Now, how's that for a greeting? You crazy Hopians, you crazy Galatians. Listen to this, you crazy Galatians. Did someone put a spell on you? You have, have you taken leave of your senses? Something crazy has happened. For it is obvious that you no longer have the crucified Jesus in clear focus in your lives. His sacrifice on the cross was certainly set before you clearly enough. Let me put this question to you. How did your new life begin? Was it by working your heads off to please God? Or was it by responding to God's message to you? Where is your focus? So think about that. Where's your focus? What is it that tends to draw your focus? Is it sports? Is it politics? Is it food? Is it relationships? What is it? What draws your focus? Think about that seriously. In the next you know, three seconds here, what is it that draws your attention? Tiffany would always marvel at how, like, when I would be halfway asleep, you know, in that land of the here and there, and she'd be scrolling through the channels, and all of a sudden she would go past a ball game, and that crowd noise would pull me out of my slumber. Ooh, what's the score? Right? So what are the things that grab and draw your attention when you're just like barely passing or paying attention to something, but you hear just a little inkling of it, you catch a whiff of it, you see a sight, whatever. What draws your focus? What draws your attention? What captures you? Have you heard the old saying that what you gaze upon, you become? Have you heard that? Scriptural I guess, expert, whatever, N.T. Wright, has this word taking that statement about what you gaze upon you become and adding it into an element of worship. He wrote, you become like what you worship. When you gaze in awe, admiration, and wonder at something or someone, you begin to take on something of the character of the object of your worship. Now look at that again. You become like what you worship. When you gaze in awe, admiration, and wonder at something or someone, you begin to take on something of the character of the object of your worship. So if we take what N.T. Wright wrote, and we juxtapose it with those first two verses in Galatians chapter 3, what is it that you feel that inertia pulling you to understand and to recognize about our life of faith? What is it that the Apostle Paul in his writing of this letter to the Galatians, what is it he wants us to have as our focus? It's Jesus, right? But not just the happy-go-lucky, smiling, feeding, walking on water Jesus. 
What does Paul want as our focus? He crucified Christ. He crucified Christ. So why crucifixion? Why is it that the Apostle Paul wants us to draw our focus and our attention to the crucifixion? Why crucifixion? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because crucifixion was designed to be a spectacle. It was the most brutal and torturous way of execution that humanity has ever devised. It was meant to completely humiliate an individual by stripping them naked, pounding them onto a tree, and making it a spectacle for all to see. It wasn't just a spectacle for those who were being crucified. It was also a message to the broader community that if you step out of line, this is what's in store for you. Crucifixion was designed to be a horrible, torturous, deadly spectacle. To dehumanize somebody. And in that dehumanization, send a message to say, if you step out of line, this is what's in store for you. So why in the world would God choose crucifixion to be the means by which you and I are delivered from our slavery to sin and death? Why would God put his one and only son through that horror, through that torture, through that humiliation, through that dehumanization? Why? For one thing, it is to communicate to us the damage that sin inflicts on us. We act like it's no big deal. One little peep, one little sip, one little taste, one little puff, one little whatever. It's not going to hurt anybody. Jesus became sin. So that we could become the righteousness of God that is imparted on us, not by how well we follow the rules, but simply on believing that he has come, saved, and challenges us to live differently for him in response. Not trying to earn our salvation, but we want to be different because of what Christ did for us. I think there's another mechanical purpose in this as well, is... As God was bringing about the promise and the hope of new life from the deadly, humiliating dehumanization of sin that the crucifixion did, he wanted to make sure that Jesus' body was as beaten down as absolutely possible so that there could be no mistake from those who witnessed the torture that he went through leading up to the cross, through the crucifixion, into resurrection morning, that when he walked out of that tomb, that it was him. That if God can restore the body and the soul, reuniting it with Jesus in the physical and in the spiritual sense, imagine what he can do for you. Jesus was beaten and tortured to the point where, as the scripture tells us, he was unrecognizable. And then a resurrection morning, what we call Easter Sunday, he was still somewhat unrecognizable. But it wasn't because he didn't necessarily look like him. It was because the folks who saw him could not believe that the man who they saw just three days sooner, earlier, totally beaten, shredded, unrecognizable, was standing there in this midst. In their midst. That was a proof to God that he can undo the torture 
the humiliation, the dehumanization of sin. And he can undo all of the absolutely horrible things that we do to ourselves and that we do to each other. We've got to believe it in order for it to happen. It doesn't happen by how we follow rules or what we eat, what we wear. It follows simply by believing in Christ as God's one and only son. And so this is what is called to inspire us to live differently because of what Christ did on the cross. Paul wants that crucifixion image to be seared into our brains so that when we see Jesus on the cross, we realize it is our sin, it is my sin, it is your sin that put him there. Dehumanizing him, completely making him unrecognizable. It was your sin that did that, my sin and our sin collectively. But it was also his power, his love, his grace that restored him as he walked out of the grave. Now, one last little tidbit about what happened with Jesus post-resurrection. And this is something that I marvel at. See, God didn't, as God transfigured Jesus, so to speak, into his resurrected form. Yes, the imagery of his back being shredded to the point where his ribs were visible and his guts being seared and shredded and things, all that was done. But Jesus still carried marks with him post-resurrection. Remember what they were? The nails in his hand and the spear in his side. Those were those pieces and points of evidence that God permitted for Jesus to still carry so the people like Thomas, who doubted, and other disciples would be able to say, yeah, that's him. He's still walking around with those holes in his hands and that hole in his side. But that's him. That's him. We all are going to carry wounds through our life that remind us of the torture that we've gone through. Losses, illnesses, heartbreak. We all have wounds, don't we? And it's easy for us to just focus on those wounds as though they become the defining characteristic of who we are and how we live life. But that's not what God wants us to do. Just like Jesus is going to carry those wounds from his crucifixion throughout eternity. You and I will experience the reclamation project that God is constantly working in our lives. And it is those wounds that provide the opportunity for us to go and say, you see this? You see this? You see this? This no longer defines me. The worst parts of my life are not the last parts of my life. I use these now as a way to point to you to show your power, dear Lord. I use these as a way to point others to the goodness and the power and the mercy of who God is and what he wants to do in our lives. He gives purpose to our pain, just like he gives purpose to the failing of the law. I think that's pretty exceptional, don't you? So let's look a little bit further into Galatians chapter 3. I'm going to skip down to verse 11 if you're looking in your Bible this morning. And read with me these passages, these verses here. The obvious impossibility of carrying out such a moral program should make it plain that no one can sustain a relationship with God that way. What that means really quickly is that, like I was saying in the kind of the introduction, is that once you violate one piece of the law, you violated the entire thing, right? You cannot be good enough on your own. And so we can't sustain a relationship with God thinking that we can just be good enough because we can never be good enough. 
picking up. The person who lives in right relationship with God does it by embracing what God arranges for him. What is that right relationship that is believing that Jesus is God's one and only son, that he died for your sins and God raised him from the grave so that we could all be filled with his power, his resurrecting power. Doing things for God is the opposite of entering into what God does for you. Let that sink in for a second. Doing things for God is the opposite of entering into what God does for you. Habakkuk had it right. The person who believes God is set right by God, and that's the real life. Rule keeping does not naturally evolve into living by faith, but only perpetuates itself in more and more rule keeping, a fact observed in Scripture. The one who does these things, i.e. rule keeping, continues to live by them. So what's Paul saying here in these two verses is that it's the response to what Christ did for us, our focus of him on the cross, that seeks to make us better and different. We don't get to the cross and earn salvation by doing things for God. We do things for God because of what he did for us. Is that clear? This is one of those things that is so hard for us in our Western culture to understand, right? In our merit-based uh, culture and philosophy, we think that we've got to do the right thing in order to earn what we want, to earn the prize. What Scripture tells us is that the prize is already there. There's nothing we can do to earn it except, except, E-X-E-E-P-T, except that Jesus, A-C-C-E-P-T, I, I shouldn't use those two words like that. There's nothing you can do but believe that Jesus is God's one and only Son. He died for your sins and was resurrected to free you from that so that you can be welcomed into eternity because of Him. That's the only thing you can do. And if you think that it is your good behavior that's going to earn your salvation, the moment that you mess up, you slip up, you've lost it all. But does that mean we do not need to be better people? We need to act with moral integrity and character and love? Absolutely not. So what's the difference? The difference is we are better people because of what we see Christ did for us. Remember, focus with him on the cross. I want to be better because of what Jesus did for me. It's not, I want to be better so that Jesus will do something for me. It's I want to be better because he did. I hope that that's clear. I hope that's clear. Brent and I are sharing stories almost every single day about our dogs. They're sisters from the same litter. And there are times when one of them behaves better than the other. and We kind of hope and pray that the other one will We'll catch up. Brent's dog's name is Luna. My dog's name is Millie. I think they both are monsters. <laughs> Amen, yeah. Can I get a witness? And I think Tiffany and Ethan agreed. But the reality is what we're learning in training these dogs, it's not just about training dogs, it's also about training ourselves. Because they have this natural desire to want to obey and to please. And so we're seeing now some of the, the vestiges, you know, some of the early little glimpses that there are parts of, I can only speak to Millie in this regard, there are parts to Millie that realizes I'm not supposed to unplug daddy's iPad charger. I'm not supposed to do that. I'm not, that, that's really about the only victory that we can share, but it's a victory, right? Because she still wants to, to dig in the litter box for the Tootsie Rolls. Yeah. She still wants to eat the lava rock out of the fireplace. She still wants to terrorize and see how much she can get our, uh, our other elderly puppy to mess on the floor as she jumps and rah, leaps on her. All in good fun. But so those elements are like, 
when I see her go to that iPad charger, and she's like, no, because dad's not going to be happy. That's the type of relationship that we constantly have with God. You see, we're constantly tempted to do the things that we know that we're not supposed to do. And we know there are things, we know there are things that are just dangling right in front of us. That's how the iPad charger is. I have it connected to a, to a power strip underneath my end table. It's just dangling there. And she knows she's not supposed to get it, but she wants it so much. We're still patient. We're still trying to mold her and shape her and realizing that it's because of her safety, but also because that relationship, we want her to leave that dad gum iPad charger alone. And yet we still have this back and forth. And yes, she still gets into the lava rocks. She still gets into the litter box. But what we're working and striving to do is to build a relationship so that her obedience isn't just about following the rules. Her obedience is an outpouring of the relationship that we are constantly trying and striving to develop. That's how the gospel works, my friends. Remember last week when we talked about how relationships are greater than rules? Relationships are, are greater than rules. It's that belief in God and his one and only son, Jesus, that he has your best interest at heart is what calls us into a new and redeemed relationship with him. And we can find those moments where we can avoid the temptation to snag the dangling thing hanging off the end table. And we still feel as though we just cannot get away from eating the lava rock out of the fireplace or digging for treats in the litter box, we're trying to torment our big sister. But what we're talking about here, relationships versus rules, we go back to the N.T. Wright quote from the beginning, that we become our focus. Either religious rules or relationships with God and others. What type of relationships? What's there on the screen? The vertical relationships with God. And the horizontal relationships with others. We become what we focus. We replace our focus. We crazy Galatians. We want to make things so easy. So comfortable. So predictable. But then we look at the cross. And we see the horror of our sin. We see how it dehumanizes us. And makes us unrecognizable. But yet. The power and who God is and what he does as a result of that is all the proof we need, even with the scars that we still bear and carry as a result of our waywardness that calls us out of that sinfulness to say, yes, even with my wounds, even with my scars, I still believe in Jesus. And I need to keep my focus there because of what he did for me. And so now we're working our way toward a destination, so to speak, that hope and the wholeness of who God is and what he wants to accomplish in our lives. Let's turn our attention to verses 25 and 26 out of Galatians chapter 3. But now you have arrived at your destination. By faith in Christ, you are in direct relationship with God. Your baptism in Christ was not just washing you up for a fresh start. It also involved dressing you in an adult faith wardrobe. Christ's life, the fulfillment of God's original promise, 
relationship. In Christ's family, there can be no division into Jew and non-Jew, slave and free, male and female. Among us, you are all equal. That is, we are all in a common relationship with Jesus Christ. Man, you ready to do a Jesus jig with me? That's the destination. It's not the rules. It's not the stepping stones. It's the relationship with God because of who Jesus is and what he accomplished for us. Remember, I kind of sung it in my facetta. What was the original purpose of our, of our creation with God? It was to be in relationship with him. Sin got in the way. It damaged us. It made us unrecognizable to ourselves. The shame, the vulnerability, the ways that we think to do horrible things to others. You know, I love to quote and reference back to Genesis and the creation story because it's so rich and thick with our, with our humanity and our human condition. And I heard something the other day. I was listening to a lecture on the fall that made so much sense to me. It's kind of like when you said that last piece of the puzzle. Oh, it's National Puzzle Day, by the way, because you didn't know that. The last piece of that puzzle that goes in and makes it all clear. It's talking about why... Why the fall was so precarious and pernicious for us. And it was when Eve and Adam ate from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they realized that they were naked, they felt shame, right? I'd always just gone there, and that was the, the end of it. In this lecture, though, I heard the lecturer speak about this element that I'd never considered before is that what's in their vulnerability, Adam and Eve realized where they could be hurt, where they were vulnerable. And if they were able to figure out where they were vulnerable, they would be able to know where others were vulnerable too. And therein is the explanation to the harm and to the horror and to the woundedness we inflict on each other. We know the things that hurt us. And so as a way to try to prevent ourselves from being hurt, what do we do? We hurt others. And we've been living in this cesspool of sin ever since. Our woundedness reveals to us where and how we can wound others. Friends, this is why we have to keep our focus on the cross because of what our sin did to Jesus. How our sin disfigured and dehumanized him, nailed him to that tree for him to die. And so if our focus is on Jesus, then I have these words that begin with the letter B, letter B, thank you Sesame Street, that I hope you will carry with you from this point forward. When you focus on Jesus, believe that he is God's one and only son. Behold him in his ministry, but don't forget to behold him on the cross. And because of what he did on the cross, how he died for your sins, he is calling you, inviting you, beckoning you, and commanding you to become more like him. And what happens when we realize that we are more like him? Jesus was a barrier breaker, and he's going to call and empower you to be a barrier breaker too. What was it that Paul said in verse 26? 
that in Christ we are all the same. We are all sinners based on how we fall so short. We dehumanize each other. We are disfigured because of our sin. It doesn't have anything to do with where we're from, what we eat, what we wear, how we smell, how we speak. It's the fact that we are all sinners in the face of God. And he could throw us away. He could cast us into the fires of hell. But he doesn't do that. He instead beckons us to himself. And says, I forgive you. I redeem you with the precious blood of my son. And I restore you, yes, wounds and all, to go back out into the world and to help others know that God is real. He loves you and has a purpose for your life. Friends, if you've yet to receive what Jesus Christ did for you to behold him. Yes, in his ministry, where we just feel that warm and loving embrace. We also have to behold the Jesus that turned tables in the temple. And took the cross and the nails for you and me. To become like him and to be barrier breakers. From all these categories, all these things that we want to divvy up and divide ourselves from. Believe in him. Behold him. Become like him. Jesus, the barrier breaker. So if you've yet to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, to behold him, I want to ask that you not let this moment pass you by. In a moment, our band's going to come and close out our service with song. I'm going to be right here in the front. If you need to come and pray with me about how God wants to move in your life, I would invite and encourage you to do so. If you started on that path days or decades ago and got off somewhere along the way, I want you to know that there is always time and hope for God to come in and to redeem and to restore you, to get back on that path and to look for him. Or if you've just been going through life and things are getting thrown at you like crazy and you don't know what to do, where to go next, I want to guarantee you that you're in good company with at least three or 4,000 other people that are in this room here this morning. Friends, may we come to God. Hear that invitation and remember these four B words. Believe that Jesus is God's one and only son and he rose from the grave. Behold him in his warm, comfortable, loving, ministerial ways, but also the horrific disfigured, dehumanized servant that he was, become like him. For he's a barrier breaker. Are you ready? Pray with me, please. Living and loving God, I thank you for today, and I thank you for who you are and what you've done in our lives. And I pray that as we come to this point in our service, in this series, that we may believe that you are who you say you are, that we may behold you in all of your presence and power, the ways that feel comfortable and common to us and the ways that frankly do not. Lord, help us in our beholding of you to become more like you, recognizing that we still carry the wounds of the torment of sin in our lives, but we can use those wounds now to point people to you and to show them that you are real and you love us and have a plan and a purpose for our lives. And that purpose involves us also being barrier breakers where we look around us and there's so many barriers, so many things that we want to erect around us to try to either protect ourselves or to keep others out. And Lord, that's not how you do it. That's not how you did it. It's not how you want us to do it from this point forward or not that it's ever been that way. 
And so I pray a prayer of forgiveness for those times when we allow categories or classifications of people to get in the way of your purpose for our lives. And I pray that as those barriers fall, that what rises within us is a love and a hope and a peace and a power that we may take even the worst parts of our lives and to use those to help direct people into that saving relationship that you have with each and every one of us. Lord, as we've discussed these last couple of weeks, we recognize that it's not what we eat or what we wear that saves us. It's acknowledging that Jesus is your one and only son, that he came to live for us and to die for us, that we might know what it means to live. So here in these moments, as we hear the rubble falling around us of our preconceived notions, help us to be resurrected into the new house, that family of God known as your church, where all of us know that we are welcome here. We seek we feel we know lord god that you're with us saving us changing us and deploying us to be the people you created and call us to be in the name of jesus who we believe we behold we become i pray amen amen thank you again for joining us today we are glad that you stopped by again we want to encourage you to visit us online at place of hope Org. If you're in the Paulding County area there, you can get service times, directions, and information about all of our awesome activities for children, for students, and for adults. Again, Hope Church is on a mission to introduce people to Jesus and fuel their love for Him, and we hope to provide you the heart fuel you need to follow Jesus. Thanks again.